it's always good uh, to be reminded that we don't just celebrate Easter on Easter, amen? That because Jesus conquered the grave, we can find life and peace and relationship with him, um, not just one Sunday a year. That's good news. That's good news. Hey, if you have a Bible, will you open to Acts chapter 13 this morning? And we are going to continue our series that we're calling Storyline. Uh, and the subtitle of that is Living a Better Story. What does it look like to, to live a story that's bigger than ourselves, that's enveloped into the story of what God is doing in our world? As, uh, as I was thinking about that this week and, and looking at the Apostle Paul's life, because we're going to ask the question as we look at Paul's life, how does he live a, a quote-unquote better story? What is, how, how does he live? What does he do? What are the things that he believes and embraces in order to live a story that's bigger than him? Because I think all of us would say we want that, and probably few of us would say we know what path we have to walk to get there. I, uh, as I was thinking about this passage, um, I was also thinking about the master's. I mean, can we just all admit this is one of the most glorious times of the year? Amen? Any sporting event that has its own theme music that makes you go, praise Jesus, is worthy of watching. All right? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. If you like golf, then great. Yeah, a few people agree with me. And they talk a lot about this. As you, as you watch the, if, if you watch the Masters, they talk a lot about what they call golf course management, which is simply this that you know when to take risks and when to sort of go for it, and you know when to lay up and to just sort of take it easy, play for the next shot. So, so really what they're talking about is risk. Are, are, are they going to take the risk? Is it the right time to take a risk, or is it the wrong time? Are we just supposed to, to sit back and, and just lay up? And as I watched the, the Masters a little bit on uh, Thursday and Friday, what I, what I realized is that I spend a lot of my life sort of laying up. I, I spend a lot of my life sort of taking it easy, playing it, playing it safe, if you will. And I started to wrestle with, as I studied Acts chapter 13, I started to wrestle with, is that what, is that what God has for me? Is that what God's inviting me to? And in some ways, hasn't that become the mantra of Christianity is trust God and everything will work out exactly the way you want it to. Huh. You know, it's interesting. If we try to lay that over the lens of scripture, it just, and and I love you, and so I'm going to tell you this, it doesn't fit. It, It doesn't fit at all. In fact, I think God is calling us to be a people because of our faith who are willing to take risks that sometimes may not make a lot of sense. Yeah, sure, there's times in life where we're called to lay up, but it's definitely not every time. And I don't even know that it's most of the time. I think he's calling us as followers of Jesus to go for it. And so here's the big idea we're going to circle around this morning is that following Jesus doesn't mean that we're risk-free. In fact, it means that we're free to risk. We're free to to be the type of people because of the faith in the God that we have who say, all right, we'll follow you, Jesus, even into the unknown, even when it it doesn't make sense, even when it may sting and it may hurt, Jesus, we will follow after you. In fact, in fact, look at the way that Jesus says this in complete 
contradiction to the safe God that we want. <laughs> Listen to the way that he calls his first disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 18. He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Anybody ever seen that on a Christian mug at the Bible Superstore? <laughs> I mean, you don't see a lot, of t- a lot of T-shirts with that on there. Sheep amongst wolves, you know, you, in the least, in this circumstance, you come out with your clothes a little bit stained if you're the sheep. Best case scenario. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. I mean, hey, hey. If you're looking for a safe invitation, may I propose to you that Christianity is not for you. Because this isn't our God. Our God says, listen, because of who I am and because of what what I've done, it's not that you're risk-free. In fact, just the opposite. You are people who are free to risk. And if we're honest, we would all admit, even though at times we've, We've been told that Christianity will keep us safe or keep us happy or keep us whatever. We all know two things. One, that that's simply not true of our lives. I mean, it's just not true. And two, if we study Scripture, it's not true of Scripture either. It's not true of Scripture either. I think we'd also say that we all know on a very intrinsic human level that the best stories, the best life stories, the best movie stories, the best book stories are built on uncertainty. Are built on uncertainty. We, none of us want to go to a movie and see somebody just play it safe. They call those boring straight-to-DVD movies. <laughs> and yet, and yet if we were to wrestle with the things most important to us, if we were to really sit down, I think a lot of us would say that sort of playing it safe is the way that we live. And so I wonder this morning, I wonder if Jesus might invite us a little bit deeper to follow him a little bit closer and and he might give us a platform to jump off of to live lives of faith and lives of risk and embrace uncertainty because of our certainty in who God is, because of our conviction about who he is and what he's done, might it create a platform for us to say, whatever life brings, I'm okay, because Jesus is my God. I think that's the way that the Apostle Paul's life uh, starts to take shape. And I think that's what drives his story. I think that's what drives his life. And, And I think that's what God uses to make much of his name through the life of Paul. And so I just want to point out a few things as we look at the beginning of Paul's, what we call his missionary journeys. He took three of them that we read about in scripture and that the book of uh, Acts written by Luke really highlights. And at the very beginning, they're going to invite you and me into um, some tension. We're going to be invited into some risk today, and my hope is that you're challenged as the weight of this sits on us, hopefully afresh. Acts chapter 13, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen to my sides. 
Starting in verse 1, this is what Luke records for us. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a longtime friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, a few things to take note of. We don't have time to go into this, but the the leadership of this church, um, Luke makes a point of, of letting us know it's very multicultural. Very multicultural. Second, he records for us who some of these early leaders were. The first name is the name Barnabas, and the last name is the name Saul. And these are two guys who are going to be very important to our time of study this morning. See, the Apostle Paul, and we introduced him a little bit last week, but he met Jesus in a very miraculous way on the road to Damascus, saw a bright light that blinded him, and that was sort of his encounter with God. And he said to Jesus, you have my whole life. And he went away and he spent a few years studying and sort of laying his newfound faith in Jesus over his knowledge of the Old Testament. And and along that same time, this church in Antioch starts to grow. They start to have this amazing impact on the world around them. And it's it's a church that if you were to look at it from the outside, this is a church that God is using. I mean, people are coming to know Jesus. They, they, they are doing an amazing work in the town and the city that they are placed in. And, and it's clear God's hand is all over this church. And so the church at Antioch and their story and the story of Paul coincide. Look at Acts chapter 11 with me in verse 24 and 26 as we see the way that Antioch, the church at Antioch calls Paul to come into essentially be their pastor. It says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now that, if you're a church, that's what you want to see. People coming to know Jesus. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He's the original pastor headhunter agency. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's saying, our church is blowing up. We need to go find, a, uh, find somebody to come and teach, find somebody to come and preach, some, somebody to train and equip and minister and release people to be disciples. Antioch's going to be the hub of ministry for the early Christian church. And so their thought was, we need somebody good here to train and equip. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year... They met with the church, and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch, not in Jerusalem, in Antioch, the disciples are first called Christians. Why? Well, because this is sort of the hub of early Christianity. This is where we see the move of God sort of starting, and we see the move of God taking place, and we see this church just blowing up. It's a church that most of us would probably long to be a part of and see God do a move amongst our people in this town in Littleton in 2013 that they saw there. And then they did something really dangerous. They did something really dangerous. They asked God what his plan was for their church. And heads up. Heads up. 
I mean, I think a lot of us want to know what God's plan is for our lives. We want to know what God's plan is for our church. This is tangential, but um, we want to know what his plan is. But they found his plan. They found his purpose by fasting, by worshiping, by praying. The question we have to wrestle with is, are we willing to seek God and stand in his presence long enough to hear him? To hear him to see the way that he speaks, to hear where he leads, and then to have the faith to follow. Hey, listen, Antioch had a 10-year plan. Guarantee it. Antioch had a, had a timeline of what they wanted to see God do and the way that they wanted to see God work. And then they did something dangerous. They asked God what his timeline was. And he said, send Paul Send Barnabas, the two leaders of the church. I mean, can you imagine him going, all right, we're going to need a second confirmation of that. Did he just say, the Holy Spirit just say Paul? And somebody says, yeah, and the Holy Spirit said Paul. And I need a third confirmation, you know, fourth, tenth. Everybody heard it, huh? Right, I guess we'll send Paul and Barnabas and completely mess up their plan their church. Isn't that amazing? But, but I think what we learn about faith that frees us to risk is that we are free to release our best to God, trusting in his gracious provision. Trusting in his gracious and his generous provision. You see, the church at Antioch had this conviction that, that this is not our church. Imagine, this is not our church. And God, there's nothing that's off limits to you. There's no people that's off limits to you. There's, there, we are not tied to our plan. We're tied to our God. And hey, we're going to come up with our plan, but we're going to hold it really open-handedly in front of Jesus saying, what do you have for us? And we expect, we expect that he's going to stir us up a bit and lead us into some things that we may not have expected on our own. And here's, here's why you read about the Antioch church, the church at Antioch. Because instead of protecting their blessings, which is my tendency and maybe yours, they released them. They, they held the things most dear to them, most closest to their impact and their mission. They said to God, God, your kingdom is more important than our church. Man, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be. I want to be the kind of church where we bring everything we have in front of Jesus and say, all right, it's, it's all yours anyway, so what do you want to do with it? I want to do that with my life, too. To say to God, you have my whole life, and so there's no corner, there's no pocket of my life that's off limits. I want you to go wherever you want to go, and whatever you touch is yours. I'm not going to draw hedges around my blessing, but I want to be the type of person, and it's hard. I understand it's, it's hard for me. And I'll tell you what, it's gotten harder and harder as I've had kids. Is it, when this was theory, oh, it was brilliant. That was awesome. But as I've had kids and God starts to knock on the door of my heart and go, will, will you even release your kids to me? Man, I'll give you money, God, but the life of my kids, 
to be used for your name and for your glory and for your fame? Will we release our our time and say the things that we hold most dear, even our our time? God, if you lead in a different way, we're willing to follow. We're willing to take that risk and journey into the unknown with you. I don't want to be known as a spiritual hoarder. I want to be somebody who holds my stuff, my blessing that God graciously gives me. I don't want it to turn into an anchor. I want to hold it open-handedly to say to him, God, I'm not protecting my blessing. I'm building on it, and I want to release it to wherever you lead and whatever you do. See, the best stories, the best stories for churches, the best stories for individuals are people who give way more than they should, who release way more than they quote-unquote should who understand that faith is not safe. In fact, that's an oxymoron that in no way, shape, or form do you ever find in Scripture where we're willing to follow God even when. So let me, let me just give some corporate implications and some individual implications. Corporate implications. I think God wants us to be a church-planting church. I think God wants us to plant churches. I think it's close to his heart. It's by far the best way to reach people for Jesus. And reaching people for Jesus is what God is about. And so there's going to come a time, and I don't know when it is, but we're going to ask some of our best, some of our biggest, some of our most quote-unquote talented to go. And it's not because we don't love you. It's because we love the kingdom more than we love South. I don't know when that'll be. I don't know when that'll be, but it will be. And so may God haunt you with that if he calls you to go. One. (laughs) Secondly, um, next fall, we want to start two times as many life groups as we currently have. So there's some of you who love your life group. Praise be to God. I love it that you love your life group. But will you pray about helping to start a new one so that more people might experience and touch what you've experienced and touched? Will we... Worship the blessing or will we worship the giver of the blessing? And over time, the tendency is always to press more into loving the blessing, worshiping the blessing, losing sight of the giver, and getting sort of stagnant. And I don't know about you, but that's not the story I want to live. I want to be willing to say to God, God, we understand that you are calling us to a greater mission than just ourselves. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. Listen to the way that Luke records this again. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, anybody have a footnote in their Bible that gives us the agenda or the itinerary for said journey? Really, mine either. I just didn't think I had the updated version. But no, no agenda, no itinerary. It's just, the question is, will you follow? And they don't get a chance to say, could you unpack that a little more for us? Where where are we going? Are we equipped? Are we trained? What are we going to do? Who are we going to talk to? I'd like to know your God. I'd like to know the results since you already know the results, God. 
Nothing. Nothing. And you see, I think what we learn is that we are freed to risk and fight complacency by being willing to follow faithfully. Regardless of where he leads. Regardless of how much information he gives and where he calls us to go. You say, well, where, where, how, how do I find that out? Well, the, the church at Antioch had a pretty great model Fast, seek God, listen, obey. I think a lot of us want to hear the voice of God, but we don't want to spend time enough in his presence to actually allow him to speak to us. So will we be the type of people who come and lay our lives in the presence of God and say to him, nothing's off limits. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I will follow. I'll follow. Checking my agenda at the door. You see, people who live lives of risk that that influence the kingdom, that build the kingdom, just like this church, they have vision that's birthed and bathed in the presence of God. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to go there? It's the reason that we read about the church at Antioch today. They believed God spoke. They acted on what he said. They were obedient to where he led. And so for some of you, you've had vision that just God has placed in you, whether it's for a a ministry or whatever it is, that just is from God, and you don't trust that it's from God because you haven't spent enough time in his presence to really hear him say yes. Can I encourage you, in light of this passage, to just run back to him and to say, all right, God, I'm an open book. I'm a blank page. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? But he doesn't always answer as specifically as we want him to, does he? Acts 13, verse 3 says, And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Where? To do what? And so here's what's creeped into Christianity. If faith equals safety, then faith also equals certainty. But as you read Scripture, faith does not mean that we're certain about anything except Jesus scripturally. And so I wonder if our desire to know has crippled our willingness to go. I wonder if our our, our longing to know all the answers and to know the way that everything's going to play out has paralyzed us from being willing to do everything. Friends, if we wait until we know all of the answers, we will be waiting forever, forever. And we all know that, but a lot of us build our stories around that faulty presupposition that if this is God's plan, he's going to lay it out exactly the way that I want him to and exactly the plan that I want him to, and I'm going to know exactly everything along the way. Faith does not equal certainty. It gives you the ability to step into the unknown, to risk because of who God is and because of what you already know to be true about him. I love the way that Oswald Chambers puts this, and he says this, to be certain of God is to be uncertain in all our ways. You never know what a day might bring. 
This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It should rather be an expression of breathless expectation. Isn't that awesome? That we go into the presence of God saying, I don't know what today holds. And isn't that great? Because how boring would our stories be if we just knew everything that happened along the way? In fact, in fact, the people who we read about in Scripture, they have this conviction that they really don't risk all that much, quote-unquote, even when they give up everything, they haven't risked all that much because of what they know to be true about God, that they can't lose Jesus, that they can't lose his love. And so really, what have we risked in the end? I love the way that the famous missionary Jim Elliott put it when he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose perspective on risk. In a similar way, you see Abraham and his life in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, where God says to him, comes and says to him, go, leave your land. Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred from your father's house to the land that I will show you. God is so descriptive sometimes, isn't he? The land I will show you. Oh, Hey, God, what is that land? He's like, come on, let's go. You know the reason you read about Abram in the Bible is because he said yes. Listen to the way that the book of Hebrews puts it. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. See, faith does not mean having all the answers. It means being willing to follow even when you don't. And you don't know where God is leading and you don't know what God is doing, but you do know him. And you see, the truth of the matter, friends, is that who we're following is way more important than where we're going. Who we're following, the leader, is way more important than the destination. And if we're able to get that part right, if we're going to be able to get the who part right of who we're following, it will shape the course of our lives. It'll shape the course of our stories. It'll help us trade our little 80-year narrative for the grand meta-narrative of Scripture. If we're willing to cling to him. I love the way that St. Augustine puts it in this short sort of quippy quote where he says, he's asked, how do we know the will of God? And he says, love God and do what you want. His point, the who is way more important than the where or the what. And what if our lives were shaped around the who? Let me ask, I'm going to ask you two questions that I think are going to help us try to get to the the meat of this question for our own lives and our own application. Question one, am I, are we, are you willing to forsake temporal comfort for eternal impact? Are we willing to forsake temporal comfort for eternal impact? Because when the blessing of God becomes a chain around our ankle and we're unwilling to leave it and we want to protect it, we've lost a greater vision. We've lost a greater vision for our lives. We've lost a greater vision for our church. But are we willing to get uncomfortable for the, the sake that God might use our lives and might use our short time here on this earth for his name and for his glory, that it might be enveloped into a greater story? But oftentimes that takes stepping out into the unknown and being uncomfortable. Are we willing 
to go there. See, here's the here's truth. And this is, every, every, will you just look up at me for just a second? Jesus is way more interested in being your comforter than he is in making you comfortable. He's way more interested in being your comforter than he is in making you comfortable. And so I think he asks us, will you walk with me even when it's into a fog? Will you trust that I'm enough? Will you trust that I'm sufficient? Will you trust that I'm good even when you don't have all the answers? I love it the way that Paul writes this as he's sitting in a jail cell towards the end of his life. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, he says this, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now that, that's a statement. If you have your own Bible, circle learned. Doesn't happen naturally, friends. We learn it through dependence in trial. Learn the secret. In whatever situation to be content, I know how to be brought low and I know what it is to abound in any and every circumstance. Now that covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? Any and every. Say most or even all. Learn the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the, here's the verse. It's on, you're going to see it on baseball hats this year and football helmets and the eye black under excellent quarterbacks. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And what's Paul saying? Paul is, here's what Paul's not saying. He's not saying I'm going to win every game. In fact, he's saying I can lose it all and realize I've lost nothing. I can lose it all. I can have it all taken from me and realize that in the midst of that, in the midst of having it stripped away, being in a, in a jail cell, getting beaten, getting shipwrecked, getting bitten by a snake, whatever you want to say he went through, he says, I didn't lose a thing because I didn't lose Jesus. You want, you want to live a life free to risk? Embrace the reality that Jesus isn't as interested in as your in your comfort as he is in being your comforter. Somewhere along the way, Paul gets this realization and builds his life around it. Second question. Will we trust Jesus enough to face our fears? Will we trust him enough to face our fears? To lay our fears of failure at his feet? And to say, all right, I'll, I'll follow you, God. If that's, where you're, if that's where you're leading, if that's where you're calling, I'll, I'll follow. To lay our fears of, of being known in front of him. In that, in that marriage that's just grown cold and you know there's a conversation that's just an elephant in the room, that need, a conversation that needs to be had. Will we allow him to be sufficient and be enough and, and allow us to journey into the unknown because we know he's good and we know he's God. But we lay our fears in front of him. See, here's the truth of the matter, friends. Either faith will shape your story or fear will shape your story, but they both will not. One or the other will, but they both will not. 
And as we hold our lives open-handed to God and ask that simple question, God, where are you leading? What are you doing? What do you have for me? I think he's faithful to say, follow. Follow. And let's find out. See, when we avoid risk, we actually avoid some of the biggest blessings and invitations that God wants to give us. So what's he placed on your heart? What's he calling you to do? Is it a conversation you need to have? Is it a new ministry that you just sense, man, this is from God and he's just stirring it in you and you've tried to shake it, but you just can't? What's he calling you to do? Is it a neighbor that you are developing a relationship with? Where is he, where is he leading? What's he calling you to do? And has fear crippled us? Maybe today faith will give us a platform to stand on and jump off into all that he has for us. We're going to close with this, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time unpacking it, but listen to the way that this journey begins for Paul. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, oh, man. Okay, quick time out. They weren't, they weren't sent out by their church. They were sent out by God. Luke makes that very clear. The church releases, but God sends. When they arrived at Salamis, every time I read that, I think, man, I'm getting hungry. Okay. <laughs> they proclaimed the word of God in synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And when they'd gone throughout the whole island, as far as, far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Barjesus, and he was at the pro, with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, this is great, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall for this conversation? Looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, Will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And we don't know how long Paul is out on this journey up to this point. He's covered some decent ground, but he gets some major pushback. And I think a lot of us, when we get pushback, we think this must not be of God. Because back, the seed in the back of our mind is God wants me to be safe. God wants me to be happy. And so if I follow him, all those things are going to happen. And just lay that across Paul's life. So he gets this, this pushback, and he embraces conflict. And I think what we see is that faith in Jesus doesn't just doesn't make us risk-free. It makes us free to risk and engage in uncomfortable conversations with an uncommon conviction. Paul's willing to speak truth even when it stings, even when it hurts, even when it means that conflict is coming his way. Friends, are we willing to live in the same way? To have those conversations that we know need to be had. To step out and to follow, even in Paul's example of being willing to, to live our faith boldly because of who we believe and know Jesus to be. Will we engage in uncomfortable conversations 
with uncommon conviction because of our faith in Jesus. See, history is shaped by people who have uncomfortable conversations. I mean, you think about like slavery in our country. It's people standing up and saying, that's just not, that's not right. We're not okay with that. It's a, an uncomfortable conversation. You think, about the, you think about the way you came to faith. You were an uncomfortable conversation for someone. Will we be willing to live in the same way? Will we be able to, willing to follow with the same tenacity to say to God, all right, even when it gets uncomfortable with our husband, with our wife, with our neighbors, with our friends, with whomever, that we're willing to go there because we believe our God is already there. And our faith in him gives us a platform to jump off into the unknown. We're, see, we're not risk-free as followers of Jesus. No, 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 no. We're, we're free to risk. Because what could we really lose? If his love never fails, if he seals our destiny and commands our destiny, as we've already sung, what do we, what do we, what do we really lose? Even if we lose our life, what do we really lose? You see, the best stories of individuals and of churches are the stories where people say to God, what do you have for my life? I'm willing to follow even when it doesn't make sense and even when I don't have all the answers and even when it costs me my best, my dearest, my most precious, even then I'm willing to hold it open-handed and say to you, God, if this is what you want, it's yours. It's yours. I mean, and, and, and isn't this the gospel, friends? That we have a God who gives what's most precious to him, his very son, to you and to me. To offer redemption, he doesn't just hoard it. He, he's a giver in the very core of who he is. That's our God. Jesus follows faithfully even when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or in the garden before that, he says, if there is another way, let's do it that way. But not your will, but mine be done. He's a, he is a God who follows faithfully the Father's command. He has uncomfortable conversations with people and he says, listen, I'm coming into the world to bring light into the darkness and that can be uncomfortable. And that can be a risk. And my prayer for both me and for us as a congregation of South is that we would say to him, where are you leading us? What are you doing? Where do you want us to go? I want our story to be defined by faith, even if it looks crazy at the time. Not by fear. Not by fear. I don't want to spend my ministry protecting the blessing of God. I want to spend it using it, leveraging it, so that more people might know about his name, about his glory, about his fame, about his grace that covers our sin and speaks life into our dead bodies. That's what I want us to be about. That's what I want my life to be about. And that means some risk, and that means some uncertainty, and that means not having all the answers, but I'm inviting you more importantly, God is inviting you to follow him.
even when we don't know all the answers. So my prayer for us is that this week, our faith might drive us to do something, anything, one thing that we wouldn't do if we weren't followers of Jesus. Because, 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 don't miss this. Faith does not mean that we're risk-free, friends. It means that we're free to risk. And I pray that we would. Jesus, we love you.